once again, I'm Michael Hayes, one of the pastors here at St. John's. If we haven't met before, so glad you're here. And if you're joining us online, uh, welcome to church again. Uh, so good to be worshiping with you this morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we've been traveling through the uh, Gospel of Mark since January, I think it is, uh, but we're switching gears in our Lenten journey together. Uh, we're jumping over to John chapter 2 this morning, and we see a side of Jesus that we normally don't see, a little bit different than usual. But before we get into that, I got a question for you. Does anybody out there like a good deal? Raise your hand if you like a good deal deal, okay? I can see you guys home online, online too, all right? Raise your hand if you like a bad deal, all right? Nobody likes a bad deal, right? We all like a good deal. We hate it when we get a bad deal and we get taken advantage of. Now, I got to admit, I'm a sucker for a good deal. You can ask my wife about it. It's almost like a problem. Uh, it's like when I go to Costco to pick up this one small little $20 item, I usually spend about 500 bucks and I leave with a cart of great deals. Anybody else do that, right? Yeah, you're pointing to your spouse over there. I got you. Uh, maybe that's not such a good deal. But I got to admit, I will go to great lengths to get and to research good deals, okay? Um, I'll even go on these websites that are out there that give you all and let you know of all the great deals you never knew you needed, right? There's things like deal, dealnews.com. Uh, there's something like offers.com. Now, in offers.com, I was looking at the other day, I found a very interesting deal. Uh, but before I show you it, we're in the season of Lent, right? which is a season of repentance, a season of penitential reflection, right? As we journey together to Holy Week, to Good Friday, and then to Easter. It's a season, Lent is a season where Christians will often abstain. They will fast from food, from things, from habits. And sometimes people will take up new habits or disciplines during Lent. All of it is to grow closer to Jesus and reflecting on all that he's done and all that he has suffered for us. It's not a season that the Bible says you have to do this, right? It's not required, but it can be embraced to help you on your journey to Easter. Now, the idea of fasting has been around for a long time during Lent, and much of the history of it's kind of debated, but for a variety of different reasons. But one thing that people started fasting from was meat, right? Meat was considered food that was excessive or expensive, uh, indulging yourself, satisfying your culinary desires, and so they would, meet, they would eat instead plain food like vegetables and simple bread and plain old fish. This fish wasn't a warm-blooded animal, and it kind of was considered food of the simple, poor people. So that's kind of where the whole thing of eating fish came from, fish on Fridays and fish during Lent. Now, whether you agree with all that or not, it's a different thing. But I want you to check this out. Remember, I like a good deal, right? So I saw this on offers.com, which, by the way, is your place to save every day, all right? Traditional seafood specials for 2021, all right? Now, let me read the fine print. If you need to abstain from meat on Fridays for Lent, you'll still eat well. Eateries and businesses around the country are unleashing plenty of seafood deals and other seasonal specials. I literally counted 38 different Lent deals, right? Lent seafood specials. All the way from Arby's, right? Try Arby's King's Hawaiian Fish Duck Deluxe Sandwich for Lent, right? When you think of abstaining during Lent, do you think of that? 
I mean, this is ridiculous. Black Angus on Facebook has this, come see, S-E-A, that's funny, come see our new Lent special, enjoy an eight-ounce grilled fresh salmon and a dozen crispy shrimp with two classic sidekicks, plus save $8 when you use the codes below. Man, I wish I had more times. Buca de Becco has one, a whole bunch of others, but this one coming up is my, my favorite. If you really want to walk with Jesus to the cross of suffering during Lent, Omaha Steaks is the place for you, okay? <laughs> Elegant seafood for Lent. I mean, you cannot make this up. Look at the, look at the fine print. Enjoy a variety of mouth-watering and easy-to-make seafood meals to keep you satisfied Satisfied through Lent. Only 150 bucks gets you the modest, okay? Ocean's Bounty Package, Faroe Island Salmon, Icelandic Cod, Yellowfin Tuna Steaks, and Wild Grouper Filets. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? What in the world is this? These Lenten deals. I mean, when I think of Lent, I don't think of elegant seafood, mouth-watering, being satisfied, right? Isn't that the exact opposite of abstaining from something? I don't think of ocean's bounty. I mean, even Webster's Dictionary gets Lent right. It says, a period of 40 days before Easter, during which many Christians do not eat certain foods or do certain pleasurable activities as a way of remembering the suffering of Jesus Christ. I mean, the irony is absolutely amazing, ridiculous, and absurd, right? I'm going to gorge myself with mouth-watering, elegant seafood to remember the sufferings of Christ? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say about this commercialization of Lent, turning Lent, turning devotion, turning a spiritual discipline into a capitalistic quest for cash, right? A business enterprise. I mean, that sort of mentality, it actually, it really does. It damages our connection to God. We talk about connect to God here, right, at St. John's. It capitalizes on our, our craving for, for money, for more, for satisfaction, greed. It takes a, a holy, worthy, devotional practice and posture, and it turns it into a greedy endeavor, right? It corrupts a life of faith and journeying to the cross with Jesus. You see, when we take the worship of God, we take devotion to God, and we baptize it with greed, gluttony, financial gain, it is, it's actually, it's damaging. It damages not only our relationship with God, but it damages our witness to the world. And when people see stuff like that, they see a distorted, fractured shadow of Christianity and Christ. Now, why am I bringing all this stuff up? Something similar happens in our gospel reading today. John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So every male was required to go to the, to the festival, and Jerusalem so is, is packed with believers from all over the place, Jews and converts to Judaism. Uh, there are many pilgrims, right? Many pilgrims made their way to participate in the sacrifice, to share the meal, to reflect on, and to remember God's deliverance of Israel. So this is a sacred, divine time of devotion, or at least it should be. John chapter 2, verse 14 says this, though, in the temple courts... In the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So since the pilgrims traveled a long distance, right, they wouldn't bring with them the approved animals for the sacrifice so that they would bring money. And they would take the money and buy the sacrifices. So there's like a considerable business growing at these times of the year. 
And even some evidence says that Caiaphas, the high priest, got into sort of a disagreement with the Sanhedrin about whether it was permissible or not to uh, sell animals in the temple court. Caiaphas supposedly let them sell sacrifices at exorbitant prices, right? You know, like when you go to the movies and you pay 15 bucks for a hot dog and a small drink when you could have got that at Costco for $1.50, right? <laughs> the money changers were known for this sort of thing, too. They were known for cheating people. All of it, it was done right in the place where worship should take place. The religious leadership had allowed for people's connection to God to be limited, to be distorted, to be extorted. Worship and devotion was turned into business, commerce, money-making greed. It's not unlike the Lenten seafood specials for 2021 on offers.com, right? So what, what, did, what did Jesus do about it? Verse 15, he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is zealous for his father's house and for his father's children who are to worship in that house. But you see, everyone sort of went along with this system. Everyone had kind of let it get out of hand. Everyone was caught up in the routine and the business as usual and forgot the true meaning of Passover and the temple. And so how did they respond to Jesus? No one disagreed with what he was saying, right? They all kind of realized the truth of what he was saying and doing, the, the, the truth of Passover. The true purpose of Passover, the temple, Worship, it had become corrupted. Maybe even an empty action for them. Maybe just a business transaction. A sacred festival day for the Lord and for his children had become co-opted for financial gain. Now, I want to pause on this whole thing for a little bit. Jesus, these powerful actions that he did, they're a bit different than we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, right? Here he is flipping tables. He's driving out animals. And some people are like, whoa, what's, what's going on with Jesus here? Is it unwarranted? And for those, you know, whose sake is he doing this? What, what's going on? Is he doing it for the Heavenly Father? Is he doing it for the people? I mean, I'd argue that he's doing it for both, right? He's doing it to honor God, but also to restore God's people to what really matters. He was putting up boundaries to protect them and to give them freedom, to shield them from the lust and the love of money. From greed. It's kind of similar to our Lenten criticism of the seafood specials, right? Lent is not about fasting by eating the best seafood in the world and making more profit from a bunch of companies, right? What in the world is that? Right, that's a bad deal. But what about Jesus? How would Jesus deal with this bad Passover deal? Now, some people... Some people take what Jesus did in the text here to justify anger and even violence, right? Nowhere in the text there does it say that Jesus was angry, but he may have been. And if the Son of God wants to overturn some tables and relocate some animals to make a point, I mean, he's God. He has a right to do that, right? But it's super interesting. We're at a very interesting crossroads that our mind can go to with this text, we can see what Jesus is doing, and then we can start 
looking at all those corrupt people out there, right? Kind of like I did with the Lenten seafood specials. And then some people will take Jesus' lead here and get angry. Get angry at everything wrong out in the world, everything wrong out in the church, then even take it to a violent place. In fact, this past year, we have seen both sides of the spectrum, political or otherwise. Both sides have used this text as justification for anger at others and violence against others. And hear me on this. When I say that, I don't, don't take my words to justify your side, whatever side it might be. And I think that's where we're at a crossroads with this text because we have a choice to make. We can look at this text and we can look out there and we can be angry at a bunch of other people. But I don't think this morning that that's the best approach. What season are we in again? We're in the season of Lent. Where I repent. Where we repent. Where I repent of my own sin. And I don't go looking out for everyone else's sin. I start right here at home. Because what is Jesus concerned about? And I don't know if I would say that only anger describes Jesus' emotions right now. I'll bet you in that text he's sad, very concerned, heartbroken, disappointed. The most sacred place in all of Judaism, the house of God, his father's house, turned into a shopping mall of extortion and greed. I think it's at that point that we have an opportunity to turn inward. Like we did in our confession this morning, look in the mirror. And we ask, if Jesus were to step into my house, into my temple, into my life, into our religious house, even right here, right now, what would he be outraged about? What would he be concerned about? What would he be saddened by? What would break his heart? What good, godly thing have I corrupted? What sinful, greedy mindset, this is even worse, what sinful, greedy mindset or action have I baptized and called it Christian? How would Jesus like my material greed? How would Jesus like my hoarding of resources and letting the orphan and the widow go unhelped? How would Jesus deal with my constant quest for security and safety and lack of trust that I baptize and call planning ahead? I mean, we just read those Ten Commandments, right? If Jesus were put those ten, ten Commandments up, he came to my house and held up those Ten Commandments against me and compared them to my words and to my thoughts and to my actions. What would Jesus want to drive out? What would he want to overturn? And what would he want to scatter so that our lives would be better? So that our houses, our temples would be what they were designed to be. And so for Lent, I think this text, here and now, today, in our context, right now, I think it pushes us to look inside, pushes us to admit, pushes us to repent. Maybe we need to even repent of taking this text and using it to, to get overly angry and overly concerned about all those sinners out there instead of our own sin. But in order to do that, we have to recognize Jesus as one who has authority to do that. 
And that's exactly what the Jewish leadership was struggling with with Jesus, right? They couldn't challenge the truth of what Jesus was standing up for, right? They all knew he was right. So instead, they challenged his authority. And don't you hate it when people do this, when they can't handle the truth of something or it indicts them, and then they move into the power play because they want to overcome, right? Verse 18, this happens. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove you have authority to do all this, right? It's as if they're saying, well, you can't tell me what to do. You're not boss of me. They wanted a sign. They wanted a miracle. They wanted some proof that he could do this. Well, he's like, you want a miracle? You want a sign? How about this one? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I mean, if anyone, my friends, if anyone ever had authority to come into your house and to get it back on track, it's Jesus. He let his temple, his body, be destroyed for you, for me, for all of humanity. He journeyed to the cross. He suffered on that hill for all of us. You want a Lenten deal? A Lenten special? You won't find that at Costco. You won't find it at DealNews or Offers.com. You will only find it in Jesus. He's the best deal. And he never takes advantage of you. The Jewish leadership destroyed his temple. But three days later, he rose again. In Jesus' destruction on the cross and in his resurrection, you find the true house of God, the true temple to worship. You find access to God no matter where you are. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus brings us to the Father's throne of grace as a child, as a daughter, as a son, as an heir. He predicted it. Just two chapters later, Jesus says, A time is coming, and it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. That's a great deal. Jesus died and rose again so that we could worship in spirit and in truth. And here's the truth. God gave up everything for you in Jesus Christ so that the sacrifices in Jerusalem will be rendered obsolete. So whether you're at, at home or whether you're online somewhere or you're out in the tent or you're over in the sanctuary or you're in Walker Hall, wherever you are, God's spirit is with you, guiding you this Lenten season. And it's my prayer that the Spirit would guide you closer to Jesus, closer to his suffering, closer to his deep love for you. And this Lent, may that freeing love allow the Spirit of Jesus to drive you out into the deserts outside of your comfort zone. That we could be seen as a people of God who love and sacrifice for others as we have been sacrificially loved. That's a good deal, my friends. And I take it 
if I were you. Amen? Amen.